be with you this morning. Uh, Tim called me a week ago, asked if I would be willing to uh, come and share. I'm always excited to do that, honored to be able to do that. And at the time, I uh, was not thinking about the uh, two-day board meeting that I had on Friday and Saturday and the four-hour planning meeting we had at church uh, last night. And so as I went over my notes this morning and was uh, reviewing them, um, I, was, I started the process a little fatigued. Um, and by the time I was done, I was so pumped to get here, I'm thinking, maybe we can start early. <laughs> uh, turn your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 14. And I'll say, um, wasn't yesterday a spring day, a wonderful spring day, and today a wonderful day of summer, and probably tomorrow is fall, <clears throat> with the cycle that we've been having. So enjoy it, enjoy it. <laughs> Who knows how long this is going to last. Uh, Acts chapter 14, I'd like to do a walkthrough of this chapter if we could. Um, I've been looking at this chapter and trying to understand a little more of patterns of ministry. And uh, the context of this, obviously, is concerning missions and how this directly affects uh, me and how this directly affects you. And we're going to look at the life of Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey together. And my hope is that we take away some qualities of these men as they serve God faithfully. In, in, uh, in Acts chapter 14, it says, And it came to pass uh, in Iconium, that they went both together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil, affected against the brethren. Long time, before, long time therefore abode they, speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace, and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and in part, held with the Jews in part with the apostles. So they went home. Uh, probably not in your translation. Anyway, um, whatever you're working out of. No. So we see Paul and Barnabas beginning this missionary journey, and the first thing they run into, opposition. Things are tough. In fact, things are going to get really tough here in just a minute as we read down through there. And you want to ask yourself, why? Why would these guys do this? Why would they put themselves into such a position? that they would be so bold with the gospel despite so much pushback, that they would be that, 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 um, that aggressive with the things that God had given them, despite the fact that they had reaction just right out of the gate. Well, I think it's because they understood, they understood the commission. If you would, keep your finger in Acts. We're going back there. Matthew chapter 28. Uh, it's missions month, from what I understand. And while may not have been in this passage. Probably somebody hit it on it at one point or another. Commissioning of the church, the Great Commission, or as I like to refer to it as the big job. This is what Christ left for us to do. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20, it says, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me, in heaven and in earth, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in, the, them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. The commissioning of the church. If you were to ask folks, what is the, what's the mission of the church? Um, probably these might be some of the answers you might get. Well, one of the missions of the church is, is fellowship corporately gathering together, 
benefiting from the body of Christ. And, and you wouldn't be wrong in that. In fact, John chapter 13, verse 35 confirms that. That's, that's a role of the church. Or you might say, well, sound biblical teaching, expounding on Scripture, strengthening believers in, in the knowledge and obedience of, of God's revealed truth. And you would, you would be right. That's a role of the church. According to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 13. Or you might say, well, corporately praising God together and glorifying Him together as a body. And you would be right. That's, that's a role of the church, according to Revelation 4, 10 to 11, and Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 3. Even the angels play out that role. And, and all these things are biblical and should characterize uh, every body of believers, but they do not represent the mission of the church. What is the church supposed to be about? Well, the mission that flows out of our loving fellowship, our spiritual growth, our praise, is that of being God's faithful and obedient instruments in His divine plan to redeem the world. All those things feed into that. It is the primary way in which God has chosen to glorify Himself is through the redemption of sinful men. In fact, in 1 Corinthians First Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians chapter five, verse nineteen tells us that. Second Corinthians five nineteen says, To wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In John chapter seventeen, verses three to four. John 17, 3-4. My wife graciously put bookmarks in for me because I didn't type out my verses. Uh, John chapter 17, 3-4. says, And this is eternal life, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested this name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. John chapter 20, verse 21. John chapter 20, verse 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. This was, this was the job that God gave to His Son Christ, and this is, this is the job, this is the commissioning that he shares then with his disciples on that mount that day in Matthew chapter 28. And so fellowship, teaching, praise are not the mission, but instead are the preparation to aid in the mission. Just a few takeaways from this passage, and then we'll be back in Acts. The first is this, in verse 16 it says, And then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. We don't know when Jesus set up this appointment. It happened somewhere in those 30 to 35 days following his resurrection. But at some point he set up an appointment with them, and they showed up. 
Someone once said this, your greatest ability is your availability. They just showed up. Did they know what was coming? No. No, they didn't. But they knew they had an appointment with Christ. And in this appointment, Christ would give them this commissioning. We don't know who all was in attendance. We know the 11 were here. Some speculate that maybe there were more, and this is what knocks out that 500 that Paul talks about. But regardless, the 11 are, the 11 are present. And it tells us in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him. Now, this is only the second time that the disciples are recorded having worshipped Christ. The, the other time is when he comes to them walking on the water. They recognize his deity and they, they worship him. And in this situation, they worship him. They recognize who Christ is, what Christ has done. And then, by the Spirit, Matthew throws in just this little statement, but some doubt it. I like that that's there. No, I don't like that some doubt it, but it's real. Not everybody was on board. Not everybody fully understood what Christ was about. Some doubted. Christ's going to put those doubts uh, to rest really quick here. But they worship. Uh, this idea of worship, of, of complete focus on Christ. That's the essence of worship here. And Jesus goes on and says here in verse 18, And he came and spake to them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. All power, all, all authority. Interesting that Christ felt the need to express this to his disciples. To remind them, uh, now fellas, be, before we go any further, I, I need you to remember who's saying this. Don't, don't forget the authority that I've been given. Because they've seen his authority. They've seen his authority demonstrated over disease and sickness in Matthew 4.23. Over demons in 4.24. Over sin in 9.6 over death in Mark 5, 41 to 42. But before giving this commission, Jesus first establishes his authority. What I'm about to ask you to do, I have all authority to require of you. And then he gives his commission. In verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end. Of the world, it's his commissioning, it's his calling, and in his it's his equipping. All, all, all the two verses, guys. This is what you need to be about. But I want you to understand, I am with you in this. I don't, I don't send you out to this alone. My presence is with you. His equipping, his calling is, is his equipping. It's not a suggestion. It's not an encouragement. It's not a good idea. Listen, guys, so I got this idea. You should try and, and go. Or, uh, hey, fellas, um, how about this? Just, just think crazy for a minute here. What if you go? No, he just, just go, right? Um, for, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll use the guy, guy apprentices on this one, students, because I'm sure the girls' rooms are all absolutely pristine. Um, you could probably eat off, eat off the floor of their dorm rooms at the ranch, um, and uh, and <clears throat> build your immune system. But um, the uh, well, so we'll just we'll throw the guys under the bus on this one. So uh, so if I were to say, I'll say to Sam because he's he's convenient and right there and and accidentally made eye contact with me at that moment. Let's uh, so I say, Sam, uh, listen, I really need you to need you to clean your room. In fact, Sam, you need to clean your room. All right, and then I check in with him a, a week later, and I were to say, uh, Sam, did you get your room clean? He said, you know what, man, I've, I've been thinking about that. I, I really have. 
In fact, um, it's so important to me, I, I memorized it. And I, can, and I can quote it. Sam, clean your room. I've assembled a small group of fellow students, and uh, once a week we've sat down and we've actually explored uh, the, the meaning of every one of those words. And we've enjoyed that thoroughly. And, 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 and not, not only that, uh, we enjoyed it, enjoyed it thoroughly. We've, we've actually written some songs concerning this. Now, I said, well, did you clean your room? Not quite. Not yet. Now, I'm cautious even with that illustration because I certainly don't want to make light of the necessity of biblical memorization, of the necessity of biblical study. Those are all critical to the believer. So is obedience. So we can expound on this verse and we can say, well, that's really, that's a great verse. And the challenge to my own heart is, what am I doing with it? It wasn't given to me as an encouragement. It was given to me as a command. And the guy who gave it to me had all authority to require that of me. If I'm truly a follower of him, then I will obey that. Back to Acts chapter 14, please. Back in Acts chapter 14. That's why those guys are there. That's why they're willing to go into such a hostile situation and be faithful to God. And is it hostile? <laughs> Hang on. Here we go. It, it, it's about to be. Let's look at some of the attributes of these guys. The first is, obviously, uh, their boldness. In verse 4 of chapter 14, but the multitude of the city was divided and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them. Uh, that's hostile. I'm going to. I mean, if you got a category, we're putting that in the hostile category. They were aware of it and fled unto Lystra, because everything's going to be better in Lystra. Uh, hang on. And Derby, cities of. Uh, uh, I should have looked up how to say that, Pastor. How do I say that word? Like an A. I got him, Pastor Sue. Like an A. He's reading ahead of me. Oh, sorry. How do I say that word? Lyconia? Lyconia, thank you. There we go. Sounded like a medicine to me there for a minute. Okay, Lyconia. Yeah. So, um, to the city of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about. And they preached the gospel. Why? Because that's what they were called to do, present Christ. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who never had walked. The same heard Paul speak who steadfastly beholding him and perceived that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lift up their voices, saying in the speech of uh, Lyconia, thank you, uh, the gods are, it's good to have a prompter. Yeah, the gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. Oh, boy. So, so this is what's going down, right? So Paul is preaching, and what this shows us is Paul is preaching in the power of God. In fact, he's presenting the gospel, and in the process of his preaching, this young man is healed. Great detail is given to that, and the people listening are like, wow, wow, they're like the gods. And they called Barnabas Jupiter in verse 12, and Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. And the priests of Jupiter, which before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which then the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, 
crying out and saying, Sirs, why do you do these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, and in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with flood and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had done that they had not done sacrifice unto them. So they shut it down. So the people want to say, we're trying to put some point of connection here on, on who you are and what you're about. Wow, that kid just got healed. You must be, you must be one of the gods and you talk a lot. So we're going to call you Mercury because you're, you're, you're the order. You're the speaker for this. And when Barnabas and Paul get, get word of this, they cry out. Why? Because that's the last thing on their mind. Now, <clears throat> You ever been in a restaurant for your birthday? Ever been in a restaurant where somebody threatens to tell them that it's your birthday and you have to figure out how to shut it down? Ever been in a restaurant with a Christian friend who doesn't have great integrity that's going to tell them it's your birthday even if it's not your birthday? Ever been with those kinds of people? Yeah, anyway. But my wife and I worked that out. So, um, oftentimes, and, and a lot of times it's like, well, don't, don't tell them why, because I don't want to be the center of attention, or I don't want to wear the really big foam hat, or I don't want to stand on my chair in the middle of a restaurant with people I don't know and sing a song, or have people sing that song to you, which is what we call the chair at the ranch, and that's a fun tradition of public shame. But anyway, that's a, <coughs> regardless, they said, we, we don't want our focus on that, and that's out of a self-consciousness, but that's not true of Paul and Barnabas. It's not out of a self-consciousness. It's a, no, that's not what we're here for. The temptation in that moment to be considered a God. The temptation to say, wow, you guys are really something. How does it fall upon them? No, 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 no. This is all God. It's him because they understood it had to be him. They understood the gospel is the work of God. They weren't manufacturing this. What had happened with that boy that was healed of the lameness? That was all God to confirm that those that were there speaking were speaking on behalf of the living God, the true living God, as Paul puts it here. There's a humility in verses 11, 15. So there's a boldness. There's a ministering in the power of the spirit in verses 8 to 10. And there's a humility in verses 11 to 15 because they knew from whence they had come. They knew from whence they had come in first Corinthians. First Corinthians chapter 15, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 9. 1 Corinthians 15, 9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, this is Paul speaking, that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. There's a humility about Paul. Because he understands this as it tells us all the way back in Isaiah chapter 51, verse 1. Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness, Ye that seek the Lord, look unto the rock for once you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence you are digged. They understood what they had been delivered out of. They understood what God had saved them of. And that was their motivation for obedience, I believe. So we have a new puppy in our house, uh, which means we've had the um, carpet cleaner out more than once. And, um, and it also means the training process has begun for her. Her name is Piper. 
and it's a good thing she's cute because it has saved her life more than once. Um, uh, she's really sweet. Um, so she's learning obedience. But her obedience is based out of um, if you do it right, you get a reward. If you do it wrong, you get a consequence. So if you really want the reward, you should probably choose to do it right. She has no concept of gratefulness. Not at all. Uh, so I was watching the kids down at the barn this morning doing chores, which you may not know that, but sometimes I watch you uh, from our house. And I noticed that my horse's blanket was on, winter blanket was on. And like I said, it's going to be warm today. So I asked my daughters if they would go down and take that winter blanket off. And so they did. They went down and hiked through the mud and pulled the winter blanket off. And my horse said, thanks, guys. No, they are ungrateful animals. They're not motivated by gratefulness. Their obedience isn't out of a, out of a, a thankfulness. But Paul's is, and Barnabas is. And obedience, not just because of the authority of God, that God can, that Christ can ask this of them, but an obedience out of an understanding of, no, we know who we were. And we know what Jesus did on our behalf. How blessed we are that he would use us to save the world. A humility. A humility in 2 Timothy 1, 8 to 10. Paul says this to his son in the faith, uh, Timothy, who he actually meets in Lystra. Timothy is from Lystra. He says this in some of his closing words to Timothy. He said, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel, according to the power of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. The wonder of our salvation. The wonder of our salvation. May it never lose its luster. Verses 19 to 20, we see the next quality that jumps out at me here. Verses 19 to 20. And there came together certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood around about him, he rose up and came into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. Um, now, I'll touch on this one, but we're not hanging out on it because it's not the point of the message this morning. Because the question that I usually have a tendency to hear when people hit this passage is, so did he die? Well, first of all, it really doesn't matter that much to me on on the purpose of why we're in this passage right now. Did he die? I don't uh, Personally, I don't believe he did. And others hold to it that he may have, and that's what is uh, referenced in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, 2, concerning the man that was caught up into the, the third heaven. The reason I don't believe he died is uh, because of that word supposed. Because where it's used in, elsewhere in Scripture, in Matthew 5, 17, Matthew 10, 34, and Luke 2, 44, it's always about assuming something that was wrong. They thought this, but it wasn't the case. They supposed that he was dead. So then the question is, so you don't think a miracle happened there? Oh, yeah, a miracle happened there. He stoned one day. And, and, and then uh, in uh, uh, verse 20, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. He stoned one day, and the next day he goes on a 30-mile hike. That's a miracle. Just not a miracle resurrection. Why would he do that? Because there's a quality about Paul that needs to be true about us as well. And there's a quality about Barnabas. And that's this quality of persistence. 
They just stay at it. They just stay at it. They're faithful to what God has called them to do. Robert Morrison. Uh, you know, when you think about the heavy hitters when it comes to missions, you know, names that come to mind for me are, are like uh, William Carey, synonymous with biblical translation in India, or um, uh, David Livingston, synonymous with reaching Africa. This was a name that I was not familiar with, and shame on me that I was not. Robert Morrison. Uh, Robert Morrison was of England, and, and uh, in 1807 endeavored to find his way to China. His desire was to reach the people of China with the saving news of the gospel. And when he came to New York in his journey, he couldn't find a ship because China was so antagonistic to foreigners coming into their country. And nobody, so nobody would take him. Not that they were worried about having problems when they got to China. They were worried about not being able to get rid of their cargo. What do we do with him? So we hit China and they won't take him. Eventually he finds one that will take him around the Cape into, into China. And he slips into a French warehouse that was there. And for six months, he purposes to learn the, the uh, Cantonese language. He purposes to learn the culture by way of learning how to dress, how to cook, and obviously to learn the language. Over six months, he does that. And over the next few months, he develops a small congregation, never more than 10, in private and hiding because it's illegal what he's doing. And he learns the Cantonese language well enough that he begins to translate scripture, the book of Acts, that's why I thought it was significant we were here, the book of Acts into the Cantonese language. And he has many that will help him. Uh, in this small congregation, and they, they make the templates for the printing out of wood. They carve them to be able to, to produce it. Seven years after he arrived on the shores of China, he baptizes his first convert. That's persistence. And then the guys who he hired to help do the printing, they begin to argue. Uh, and, and, and they're Christians but they begin to argue. In fact, their arguing turns into a fight, and the fight draws the attention of the authorities. The authorities find out what's going on, and uh, they shut everything down and forbid him from doing any more translation. They forbid him from doing any more preaching. And so, just like we said with uh, Paul and Barnabas at the beginning, uh, he goes home. And the answer to that is no. He stays. He stays. He mastered the language and managed to translate the entire Bible into Cantonese. He made a six-volume Chinese-English dictionary so missionaries would be able to learn the language, not just from the Bible. Uh, 27 years he's there of loneliness, persistence. And today there's, there's an academy in Taiwan called Morrison Academy, and he is considered the father of Protestant missions in China, which, uh, by estimations of what I've read recently, the, the church in China, the Christian church in China, within uh, a decade, at least within two decades, will be larger than uh, Christian believers in the U.S. that go to church. Probably already is now. Hard to get good stats out of China. That, that's this man. Why? Because he was persistent. He just stayed at it. He was faithful to what God had called him to do. He used his time with a, a sense of, of deliberate, of being deliberate. It's like what Paul talks about in Colossians 4, 5. Redeeming the time. If we lived 70 years, it's estimated, and this is, this is loose. Three years would be spent in school. Three years. If you added all the days together, all the hours together, three years spent in school. Eight years in entertainment. That's going to vary for some. 
six years in eating. That will vary for some of us. Um, 24 years of sleep. Anybody with a newborn is like saying, I could go for 30 right now. Um, Five years in transportation, four years in conversation, 14 years working, three years reading. And if we went to, to church every Sunday, prayed five minutes every morning and night, that will work out to five months. Now, that's a distorted figure. Why? Because reality is, fingers of Christ should be in absolutely every one of those things I just listed. It really is. The question is, are we being deliberate about that? Are we redeeming the time, as Paul said? What are we doing with our time? Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time that, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. John MacArthur made this statement. He says, some Christians are as good asleep as they are awake. They don't do anything for Christ either way because even when they're physically awake, they remain spiritually asleep. Um, a weekend like this, my wife was very gracious this morning. She always is. And this morning, uh, I was sitting reading over my notes, and she came in and brought me a hot cup of coffee. Oh, she's amazing. I married up. straight up. Not just because of that, but that was a big one this morning. And it was hot, and so there was that whiff, that, that, little, that little piece, the uh, expression of vapor that comes off, that little mist of vapor that comes off. And as I'm preparing this, I thought, there it is. That's what James is talking about, isn't it? James 4, 14. That life is a vapor. Life is a vapor. We didn't keep rolling. The next attribute of, of Paul, and we're about to get to the end of this passage, is that of commitment. That of commitment in verse, in verse 21 through 23. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to uh, <laughs> uh that one. I don't know why I can't remember that word. Thank you. I <laughs> and, and Antioch. I should have just had a way of signaling you. Um, uh, and, and, and so uh, you read that and you're like, wait, uh, uh, wait a minute. They went back? Yeah, yeah, they did. They went back. Now, did they have to go back to return to Antioch from where they had left? No, they could have taken a beeline through the wilderness and been there very quickly. They went back. Because of this commitment, not just to getting them saved, but, and uh, this is a whole other message here, but to do what I would, what we would refer to as follow-up, to go back and to confirm. It says, confirming the souls in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and that we must, through, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. They went back. To establish these folks. They went back to confirm them. This is what this decision for Christ means. This is what living it out is about. To exhort them. To, to teach them and to instruct them. To establish them. To establish a church. A structure there. And to commend them. They gave them over to God. That's one of the hardest things for any parent to do. To give your child to God. I heard it put this way one time. There are times where it may be difficult to say to your child, I trust you. But in all confidence, if your child is a believer, we should be able to readily say, I trust the work of God. They commend these churches these, that they've established. This is God. Because why? Why? Because they knew this was all God. He is the one that had established it. And so he would be the one who would sustain it. They risked their lives to go back and to follow up with these dear folks to strengthen them. 
And then the final. In verse 24, And after they had passed throughout Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. And when they had preached the word in Pergen, they went down into Italia and then sailed to Antioch. Now, I just want to, I want to grab a word there because I just think it's the funnest thing ever. When I was reading through this, this word jumped at me. And, and, uh, and then, so they sail. I just, for a moment, I just want you to think, what would that boat ride have been like? You got Paul and Barnabas. I mean, they're engaging into these cities. They, they are, they are preaching, they are making, and then you're stuck on a boat with them. Who, buddy? Guess who's getting evangelized? Powerful. Christ, uh, 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 Paul was amazing with even those that were his jailers. Sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God. It's a year and a half later they return there. And what do they do? Well, they do what we would expect they would do. For the work which they fulfilled, they have been, they have been given this commission by Christ. They have been sent by this church. They have fulfilled it. Why? Because obedience was a, a, a way of life. It wasn't an exception. David Livingston, the, the great missionary, put it this way. He said, why is it when an earthly king gives a commissioning, it is considered an honor, but when a heavenly king gives a commission, we see it as sacrifice. They embraced what God had called them to do. And when they were come and had gathered uh, the church together, verse 27, they rehearsed all that God had done with them how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. The last attribute I see of these guys is they give all praise to God. They're home in Antioch. They're with the disciples. And what do they do? Man, let me just tell you about what God did. Let me tell you about the doors he opened. Let me tell you about all that God has done. God had called. He had commissioned. He simply obeyed. This commission, evidenced by our availability, our obedience, because we recognize Christ's authority and express worship to him by his being the center of all that we do and fulfilling what he has commanded us to do. What are the attributes I see in Paul and Barnabas here? The first, that of boldness. The second, understanding who it is who must do the work. It has to be God. Walking in humility, being characterized by persistence, evidenced by their commitment, and then walking in a state of gratefulness by giving all praise to God, giving not only credit, but praise to God and praising Him. As was mentioned this morning in the, in the song, a beautiful song, and a reminder of our, of our salvation, of what Christ has done on our behalf. As was mentioned in the, in the prayer for missions, and come alongside those who are in other places and ministering for the cause of Christ. But we have a world that we've been called to as well. And that commission that's given in Matthew chapter 28 has no, has no um, restriction. So that commission is not based off of, listen, if you're good at it, you should. Or if you're over 18, you should. Or if you're a man or if you're a woman, regardless of the season in life, this is a commission given to every Believer, every one of us who calls ourselves Christian, this is what Christ has required us to go. To go and to make disciples by teaching what? Teaching what he taught. That's what we have to do. He's the one that will do the work. I think about that this, this year as, 
our 25th anniversary as a couple in October. We've been married 25 years. I'll tell you, 25 years ago when I said I do to this amazing woman, it changed my life forever, for the good. Be 43 years in September when as a six-year-old boy I went forward and gave my life to Jesus Christ. And that changed my eternity. Why wouldn't I want to tell other people that? Now, I'm not throwing stones and I'm not pointing fingers. Because sometimes when you're in vocational ministry, you can default to the fact that, well, I do it all the time. I kind of did this morning. So as I was preparing for this, I'm thinking, when's the last time I had a conversation with one person that the Lord allowed me to bring it around to sharing the hope found only in Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life. When was the last time? It's been too long. It's been too long. I think I'm falling prey to celebrating the wrong thing. Enjoying the fellowship. Enjoy the fellowship. Enjoying the solid biblical teaching. Enjoy the solid biblical teaching. Enjoying the corporate praise of God. Enjoy the corporate praise. Just understand, that's the equipment. Mission.